The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Cher Martinetti, and this is Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. This vision of Julie Adams swimming over the Gilman in Creature from the Black Lagoon, mm-hmm. and I thought that's the most beautiful image I've ever seen. And I, and I really, at age six, I really thought it, they're going to end well. <laughs> they're going to end up together. It was the first time I saw it, and when, when, when it ended really, really bad, I thought, I've got to correct this. And, and I, it took about 47 years to correct it, yeah. That's Academy Award-winning director Guillermo del Toro telling the LA Times how his film the Shape of Water, was deeply influenced by the creature from the Black Lagoon. Del Toro was seven when he saw the film. He would also go on to tell the Los Angeles Times that the Gilman creature was the most beautiful design he had ever seen. After initially trying and failing to get Universal to let him make a follow-up film, this time from the creature's perspective, and one that turned out with a far happier ending than the original, he decided to make his own story centered around an amphibian man who falls in love with a mute cleaning lady. The Shape of Water would go on to win two Academy Awards, one for Best Picture and one for Best Director for Del Toro. But all of that would have very well been impossible if Millicent Patrick had never created one of the most iconic monsters in science fiction history. Millicent Patrick was born Mildred Elizabeth Fulvia Di Rossi, November 11, 1915, in El Paso, Texas. According to some sources, she was born an Italian baroness, the Baronessa di Palombara. If you're asking yourself what an Italian baroness is doing in El Paso, Texas, well, let's just say Italy wasn't exactly the place to be during World War I, so there probably wasn't much to be a baroness of. Millicent was the middle of three kids, and her father, Camille Charles Rossi, was a structural engineer who worked on the Hearst Castle as the project's construction superintendent, reporting to Julia Morgan, California's first licensed women architect and the castle's designer. While young Millicent spent her days trapezing the dreamlike estate of the Hearst property, complete with a 2,000-acre private zoo and celebrities galore, the elder Rossi fought with Morgan for the better part of a decade before her dismissal. Later, it would come out that Rossi was a walking black cloud who seemed to glory in human misery, making it a distinct possibility that Millicent's eventual career in horror and with monsters may have been inspired by her own childhood. Millicent was a gifted artist, 
and initially dreamt of becoming a concert pianist, but instead chose to study art at the Chouinard Art Institute, where she earned three scholarships after she graduated from high school at the young age of 14. The school also served as an artist animator incubator for the nearby Walt Disney Studios, where she landed a job in 1939 in ink and paint department. In the 1930s and 40s, let's just say the House of Mouse wasn't the most inclusive of workplaces. Much like NASA regulated women to the role of human computers at the JPL, being a talented artist meant two very different things at Disney if you were a man or a woman. The men would become animators, whereas the women with the same exact skills would end up in the ink and paint department. It was there that the all-female staff of 100 were essentially tasked with making whatever their male counterparts did look good. Millicent worked as a color animator on Fantasia, where she contributed four sequences, including the legendary Night on Bald Mountain. Millicent claimed to be the first female animator hired at Disney, but much like her Baroness title, there's not much evidence to prove it. She was, however, among the first women animators hired by the company. So, close enough. In 1947, a now-divorced Millicent shortened her ex's last name from Fitzpatrick to Patrick and started working as a film extra in movies nobody would remember, even then. And here's where Millicent's life actually gets more colorful and interesting. At some point, she meets George Hamilton Bud Westmore makeup department head for Universal Studios. According to Mallory O'Meara's book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick, that meeting happened in 1952. But according to a Los Angeles Times review of the book, a photograph of Patrick holding a mask of Frankenstein from 1948's Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein credits her with at the very least helping make the mask and completing the fine painting on it. Westmore was the head of the makeup department on that same film. And you'll learn shortly why it's highly probable that her work on that film became quote-unquote forgotten. He then hired her to do makeup design for an upcoming 1952 B-picture based on some story about a mythical race of half-fish, half-human creatures in the Amazon River that producer William Allen was told a decade earlier at a dinner party and screening for Citizen Kane. Alan wrote story notes titled The Sea Monster, partially based on that story and influenced by Beauty and the Beast, which eventually evolved into the Black Lagoon. It may have only been a B-movie, but Millicent dove into Lagoon headfirst. She studied illustrations of prehistoric animals, made sketches, many of which were since lost or destroyed, and submitted her design to the sculptor Chris Mueller, who would later say Patrick deserved credit as the chief architect of the creature. According to O'Mara's book, Miller stated, the creature, the whole monster, was designed by Millicent, who had been working on it as soon as it was assigned to the makeup department. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, you got it! You got it! No, don't shoot! Don't shoot! Puppy, you might hit K! In early 1954, the studio decided to capitalize on Patrick's involvement and sent her on a publicity tour with the tagline, The Beauty Who Created the Beast, to promote the March release of the 3D film Creature from the Black Lagoon. But from the jump, Westmore, who had a reputation for being a real son of a bitch, 
began bickering with the studio, insisting that Millicent wasn't the creator of anything. After all, he was the chair of the makeup department. Therefore, he and he alone created Gilman. Eventually, they changed the promotional tagline to the beauty who lives with the beasts. Even that wasn't enough for Westmore. He had Patrick's name removed completely from the credits and replaced it with his own. Millicent had no idea what was waiting for her upon her return. This tour was a culmination of her life's work, where the artist, the baroness, the model, the actress all became one woman. She dazzled audiences, and more importantly, she was working her ass off for the studio and this movie. Life on the road was becoming a chore, and an expensive one at that. She took a memo of the damage to her wardrobe. One cocktail dress, completely ruined. One cocktail dress, beating broken and lost. One garbodine suit, shrunk and can't be repaired. One lace coat, burned, torn, and shrunk, ruined beyond repair. One afternoon dress, torn but repairable. One pair of earrings, cut in half by pub, man and stones, lost. One velvet blouse, torn, can't be repaired. All in all, she ended up with what today would have cost $4,000 in damages. It read much more like a crazy night at the riot house in the 70s than the promotional tour for a sci-fi film about a swamp monster in the 50s. While Millicent was out there engaging audiences, Westmore obsessively collected every newspaper and press clipping of her tour, each one adding fuel to his petty fire. With each omission of his name, he became more of a petulant child. Finally, after a month on the road, Millicent returned to L.A. feeling triumphant. She expected nothing less than a pat on the back from her boss. But Westmore was seething, and he had made it very clear to the bosses at Universal he would never use her again. He had her fired. Millicent found herself exiled from Universal right at the beginning of the studio's sci-fi boom. And thanks to Westmore's bullshit, her actual contributions while on his staff may never be known. But magazine articles and newspaper accounts that predate his mantrum of epic proportions made it clear that Millicent Patrick was far from a one-trick pony. She designed the Xenomorph for It Came From Outer Space in 1953, the Metaluna Mutant for This Island Earth in 1954, and was a mask maker on Abbott and Costello, Meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1953, and The Mole People in 1956. Millicent Patrick's life and career after Lagoon became shrouded in even more mystery than her early life. Were it not for fans like Mallory O'Mara, who desperately sought out her story and wrote her book, her name might still be largely absent from the pop culture zeitgeist today. Millicent Patrick's believed to have died on February 24, 1998 in Los Angeles. Although the Screen Actors Guild, for a time, had her listed simply as missing. But in some ways, they're not entirely wrong. For decades, Millicent Patrick was missing. Missing from the credits of the movies she worked on. Missing from in memoriams, from best of lists, and from the minds of fans and would-be artists who would one day, maybe even unknowingly, benefit from her time in Hollywood. Like so many women before and after her, Millicent Patrick spent the end of her career being grateful for the opportunities afforded to her by a man that couldn't wait to deny she ever existed and thought nothing of claiming her work as his own. A man who was born into a prominent makeup family in Hollywood, and to this day has a building on the Universal Studios backlot named in his alleged honor. 
If there's one glaringly obvious cautionary tale to be learned from Millicent Patrick's short career, it's that sometimes the biggest monsters are walking among us. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Today's episode was written, read, and produced by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls. fangirls